British fashion disruptor, social campaigner, and author of Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Taken, Daniel Lismore. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to my podcast. Thanks for being here today. So honored to have you. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I mean, you've dressed up for the occasion. So um, just to give everyone that's listening, (laughs) what are you wearing? I'm wearing a lot of broken tiaras, as you can see, um, a lot of broken jewellery. This was a, a necklace that I made for the Master Borpheus at the English National Opera, um, sponsored by Swarovski. And this is also one of my uh, artworks of mine. So yes. thank you, Swarovski. <laughs> um, and then an Alexander McQueen kind of three dresses in one. I pinned them together and... Absolutely love. I love how you do your makeup. And um, I just remember actually when I first met you, you know, you had all these layers on and I was, it was just so incredible. Like you, this was before you sort of launched yourself as, um, you know, as the exhibition and everything with your book. But this was way back when you were creative director of Saropol, wasn't it? And um, we got to collaborate together on fashion show. And I just loved your your way of thinking of just nothing's impossible more is more and everything's so colorful and you're so phenomenal at that I just want to wind back into like how you got here so just um as your childhood memories um I imagine you know I'm trying to break it down like what was your life like what was your first impressions of maybe the art the fashion what is it that was this a dream of wanting to be this person or did it just happen to just work out like that so I would watch my mum get ready and put on her makeup in the mirror. Obviously, being smaller, I would always look up and watch her. Um, she had this beautiful dressing table, and I'd watch her get transformed to go out somewhere. And I was always mesmerised how she just changed. So I was like, "Wow, that's you know." So that was the beginning, I guess. And then um, going to school, um, being taught about the Tudors and King Henry VIII and Queen Elizabeth, and <laughs> um, so that was part of my. Um, childhood which really resonated with me as a person I was I often wondered why people didn't dress up the way they did (laughs) so I guess um that was the beginning my dad was an antiques dealer and would bring home beautiful things and I would be we actually found some in the shed the other day and I was like mum this is what I was talking about with the day so um, these things with like tiny details on and, and that's where I became obsessed with small details. So yeah. I think that's where it started for me. And did you, at school, did you, um, did you ever like, I remember like I used to be quite extra at school with tweaking my hair and like designing my look the night before and I was only at the age of seven or eight, but <laughs> I don't know, did you have all this sort of in your head, like being surrounded with it, you know, when you were at school, did you... Were you dressing up at home? Did you tweak your uniform? You know, like, how did you sort of embrace all of that? Were you I was very proper with my uniform. Yeah, I, I was very proper with it. My dad taught me how to do a tie, and I was one of the only people that knew how to do the proper tie. And I think that was, a, you know, one of my first loves of fashion, being able to do ties in different ways. Um, wow. But me and my brother had a dress, dressing up box, and... Um, 
and I'm sorry to him right now, but he, he was the one that used to wear my mum's clothes, you know, it wasn't me. And I would watch him go, not sure about that. I don't know, really know what's going on. Um, <laughs> so he would wear her, like, he would call them silkies and he'd wear the silk slips, like running around the house. And I was just always a bit scared of trying them on. And I think now I know why. Um, but it, that's, yeah, I think that's, the beginning of everything. Being exposed. And what about makeup? Did you have any interest in makeup at that point? And because you've got like really long locks, really long hair. Um, you know, was it always long? No, my hair used to be like white and it oh, was wow. always like a bowl haircut. I, I think I had. And then um, I would experiment with things. I was, I became obsessed with Puff Daddy and Notorious B.I.G. and that whole hip hop. Oh, seen God. as a teenager and then looking at um, the likes of Ozzy Osbourne and other you know interesting people on the TV and then Michael Jackson as well um, and I, I remember going to see him as a kid in 1997 I think my mum flew us to Dublin to go and see him and it was just mind-blowing oh amazing so I think they were, they were early influences but I would dress in like tracksuits as well and I would have I'd always make myself look bigger because um, I was quite, I was bullied a lot. And so, yeah, it was, it was always, in, it, I was bullied for what I wore what how I dressed and how I was generally anyway. So I think I gave people more of a reason to bully me. <laughs> but did you, um, you know, it's, it's not always nice being bullied and, you know, it's anyone that feels a bit different can always relate to that. You know, I grew up in a very, very much town where I thought I was fairly normal. But um, when looking back, I was 100% not normal. Um, but I always was able to, I don't know, maybe it's, it's a creative thing that you sort of go into a fantasy world where you just ignore everyone, and you just carry on anyway. I don't know whether that's like a successful thing mm -hmm. or, or like you said, like an armor, you know, to protect yourself. So you just do it anyway, but you just ignore everyone else. Do you think like um, growing up, but being affected by that has... Um, influence the way you dress do you think because you do look like you're wearing armor definitely i am literally wearing chainmail right now like <laughs> um, and was it always this, you know was it always this flamboyant or have you built it up over the years like how have you built up your collection so as a teenager i would dress in um six inch platforms square platforms and go to the shops with like big flared um jeans and um I would choose like really weird looking jeans, like either hip hop or like hippie. And then um, I got lost in the goth scene and then the cyberpunk scene in Birmingham um, at the time. And I would only wear certain things. And then this weird stage of wearing Versace and, you know, like loud Versace and cyber goth and a bit of Dolce & Gabbana because I, you know, I started to discover these things on fashion TV. Um, and then I remember seeing John Galliano's show and my whole mind just twisted after seeing those things. Um, and also La Croix and other things. You know, as a, as a teenager, I would start to kind of really experiment and I'd wear my mum's Elizabeth Arden makeup and I'd be like orange <laughs> and heavy eyeliner. And she taught me how to do flicks and she taught me how to do my eyeliner. And um, because I... You know, looking at her pictures in the 60s, she, she didn't mind. And I probably wasn't even out then. So um, 
And when I came out, I started dyeing my hair. No, it was before that. I had blue hair, blonde, like bleached blonde oh, wow. hair and green hair. So yeah, that was That's <laughs> amazing. My taught you that. Um, so God, your mum's so supportive. Your dad is a, um, supportive as well. Like you had a very strong family support network, haven't you? Because yeah. you're always... Yeah, very strong. Because your presence and everything is always so positive. Like you're very colourful and you're always so kind and so nice to people. And like, I'm not being funny, but if people that haven't met you and I've seen you, like you are literally like a friendly giant, you know? You're so... You know, just like your um, your synergy and your personality just shines through, and you don't even say a word. And that's the funniest thing is that you're so quiet, but yet you speak everything about you, even though it's quite you know flamboyant. You still ooze like kindness and softness, and I've seen that at all your you know your parties. Um, so how do you collect all these people, Daniel? Because I've been to your parties, and you know they say you you attract your tribe, but you know. Yeah. Where did you find them? Amazing um, characters that are. I don't know where I found them all. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my nickname was the BFG when I was at school. My, even my teachers called me it. Um, so that that was uh, that. yeah. Um, I would go around London and online back then, MySpace, and I would be interested in anybody that was eccentric or unusual or had a story or did some like a great artist or something like strange or someone that was glamorous and rich and fabulous and powerful or like beautiful or, or not, or, you know, in someone that was <laughs> a horrible person, I would be interested in all these types of people. And then I brought them all together and put them in rooms. You know, I'd have politicians and policemen and doctors and nurses with the wow. kids and the 1%, you know, of, of the what and I, I would stick them all in the room and see what happened and and it was amazing and uh, I've still got connections um I'm still connected to most of those people and um, that I've met along the way and we you know a new social platform comes and I rediscover them like years later and um so I just love people and I'm so fascinated with other people's stories and I I don't know why but I'm able to talk to most people whether they're good or bad you know um and i think it's just because of my fascination and, and sometimes people are scared of me and they realize that there's not much to be scared of unless you're nigel farage um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um so yeah that that's i mean you've you know, you have all these people, but they all support you and love you. And, you know, you're, you've become obviously an activist and a representative and almost like a voice for a lot of the eccentric, not eccentric, but, you know, people that are a little bit different and, um, you know, for your community, like you have built up a very special community and, you know, fan base, you know, um, you know, what gives you the um, sort of drive for that? How do you, um, you know, like, where are you know like having that whole voice you know what makes you want to do that you know um why do you think there's like because you've taken that role and I feel like you are like globally a role for your community in UK as well and everywhere else everyone knows you and you know what is it about um 
is that giving you what's giving you the support how are you doing it because it looks like you're doing it all by yourself you know how are you getting the energy to do all this amazing um, I don't know I love working I love people I love trying to do my best um when I was younger I went to stay with the Maasai for a while and I saw some amazing amazing people in terrible terrible situations and the, the beauty of these people and realizing that how privileged my life was back then um i it changed the way i thought about the whole world and then something bad happened to me when i got back to london i had a breakdown um and then realizing that people sometimes listened and i knew i think also at school i was taught about climate change so which is kind of rare so i represented the school at a really young age um to try and make the environment, it was called the, you know, to make the environment better back then. And I think that's where the love came from. And then I got involved a bit later with Vivian Westwood. That was over 10 years ago now. Um, but I've always fought for um, LGBT rights. So I tried to get involved with other things like Pride and um, sometimes it never worked. And we see now all the Pride committee just quit and that's why things like that never worked. Um, so, uh, I worked on um, anti-fracking and we managed to stop fracking in Balcom by getting drunk in a pub and telling the farmer what's going to happen to his land. Rather than standing out on the street protesting, we spoke to somebody who was the right person and managed to stop that. And then um, then there was the whole burn punk London with Joe Corey, um, where he protested against the government for celebrating punk, which was more of a creative thing. Um, and then... I've worked with uh, activists like Pamela Anderson and Cool Earth. Um, I've been an ambassador for Cool Earth, I still am. And we try and raise money and awareness to save the rainforest. So that what they do is buy up um, the trees and the land and they get more money than the logs. So they actually then give it back to the tribe and um, make sure they don't knock the trees down because that's what's happening. So they're an amazing charity. Um, and then there have been many other subjects but um, recently I've been working on the Ghanaian situation um, where they have been um, abused by their government and also I'm trying to help some refugees at the moment it's very hard because of Covid um, and I've started a thing on Clubhouse which has become a, a group of activists over the last month getting together and we've invited people on and try to speed all the processes up so I just do my best, but I know that I was helped a lot when I was younger, and I always appreciated that help. Um, and I know how important it is to be kind to someone because I, I experience a lot of kindness from people. And the other thing is I try and do one good thing a day at least. It doesn't matter what it is for yeah. someone. Maybe someone doesn't know about it, but I do it. And that kindness we miss so much in society I'm not an angel by any means <laughs> you know that I have flaws like everyone else so um but I just do my best and I know I'm in a position where I know all these fantastic people from the art fashion politics wherever and I it's like social alchemy alchemy I I'm like I met you and you and you need this and we can connect this and make that happen. So, you know, even freedom of speech with WikiLeaks, I've helped on 
know, bringing Lady Gaga to Julian Assange and things, you know, small things. But with your book, what made you um, produce your book? Like, how did you get that inspiration to actually just get that project out there? Because it's an incredible project, and I've seen your journey from that, and then going to an exhibition. I mean, how does that feel for you? You know, like all the investment that you have in your look, and all of a sudden you are like a big blown up sculpture in all these amazing places around the world. How does that feel? It's interesting because I was at a point in my life where I was doing Solropold, the fashion label, and we yeah. worked with you, and um, I decided to leave. And I was more or less homeless at that point, having this huge wardrobe. And um, Joe Corey, who's Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's son, he's, he's been an angel to me. He also ran Ilamasca. He made me the brand ambassador and he gave me a home to stay in. And whilst he was out one day, three days actually, I put all these pieces of paper on a table and decided I needed to figure out what I had to do with my life the next step. Um, and one of these was an exhibition. So I kept going back to it. And I went out three days later to a Westwood party and met a curator called Rafael Gomez. And he said he was going to the Savannah College of Art and Design to do their shows. I said, oh, well, I've got a show, you know, I've, you know, I've come up with this show, I'll send you. And he said, send me over. So I didn't think anything would come of it, like all party talks, nothing ever happens. Um, you talk to someone in a party and it's like, you never hear from them again, um, <laughs> you know. Um, but he, he actually called me and he ended up in Coventry in my storage unit and my mum and dad and my friend Anthony kind of helped pack everything and it went to Atlanta. And I was like, mum, it's gone, you know, like, it's so weird. And so I built the show in Atlanta in the museum. And so now all my sculptures are based on how I wore them, colours, and uh, a tapestry version of my life living in them. So what I wore them with at those times. And so it's all amalgamated into one sculpture. So there's nearly 50 sculptures now with over 6,000 objects, um, you know, from broken things to whatever, and, and that's how I created them. And then um, the Savannah College of Art and Design's um, president said, would you like to do a book? And I was like, yes. And they said, it's with Rick Soli. And I was like, Oh my yes. God, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so that was published and I was very fortunate. I reached out to Stephen Fry, Stefano Pilati, Matt Lucas, Debbie Harry, Paul George, um, and Edward Enenfall. And they all gave me quotes, and Vivian Westwood, and they all gave me quotes for the book. Um, which was amazing and they you know they supported me and they um, even posted about it which and then Hamish Bowles said finally you're doing something on your own you know it was like all these years I've worked for someone else or some yeah. with someone else and I was doing my own thing so people that I've met along the way supported me and it, the show ended up going to um, Miami Art Basel um, it showed in Atlanta, um, Naples, Italy, Iceland in Reykjavik for the um, Reykjavik Arts Festival in, in Harper and in Poland. And it was really interesting in Poland because it was the day the anti-LGBT laws came in was the last day. So um, I watched everything change a lot then. And they were like, we're happy that you were here. And um, think the situation's changing. So art is very powerful. And it, it, sometimes you don't um, realize what this can do. It's not, for me, it's not about me. It's about what, what it can do for other people. And to stand in the museum and 
kind of put a hoodie on and creep around and like listen um, has been amazing to just see how what I've done has moved people and and all kinds of people. I had a, a lady from India who was losing her eyesight and I brought her around and I let her touch everything and she could still see colour. So she said it was the most beautiful thing that she'd seen since she lost her eyesight. And I was, you know, that for me, that was amazing to hear. And um, there was a trans child that actually um, saw something like a bit of a, an object of a male, female, that's the thing. And, and when we went round, we were like, which one is your favourite? And the child was like, this one. And we were like, okay. And then there was a very um, Catholic lady there. And she said, that's offensive. And I was like, yeah, I know. But look what that happened to that child. Like that child has, and she was like, oh, I get it. And I was like, wow, that's, you know. So yeah. art can do these things it's you know so um for me I'm, I'm very happy that I've done it and there are many objects from all over the world from different places made in different ways everything has a story yeah and it all went into the book so yeah I absolutely love it and I have ordered it but it just hasn't come yet Daniel so when I do have it oh. yet sign it for me because obviously an icon and a fashion icon and an activist icon and so many things <laughs> so proud but at the same time I love the fact that you can take all this off and just be somebody, like you said, in the tracksuit bottoms and just go around and, you know, so I just want to wrap up with, you know, for people that are feeling quite lonely and have been in your position and stuff, you know, what can you, what words of advice can you give them to help them? You know, because obviously you didn't give up and you had people to help you. But for those, where can they go? Or, you know, what would you say to them that's listening? That feels like- I would say go online find support, find people like you. You can't go online, try and find people in your area or a friend or someone. Really don't give up on your vision ever. Um, anyone that's ever made it and that you look up to have not given up. They've gone through good and bad and that's part of the journey. Um, all the rejection and throwback is just part of it. Try not to take it too too much on the, you know, it does hurt sometimes, but yeah. Um, and just keep going. And if you, you know, you create something special and do your own thing. Um, and that's what matters in the, in, in the arts. Like when you do your own thing and stop copying everyone and like you do, Lan, like you're amazing. You, you create original, beautiful works and you're, the way you, it, it's gorgeous. And, and sometimes you may do something which no one understands. And yeah. that's the best thing because um, later on they will you know and 10 years time they'll look back and go wow that was very cool even when we're not here they, they'll still look back and go wow that was that was amazing you know so I all these things that are out of the box and everyone says no to and everyone thinks it's a bit too weird and a bit too um just ignore them <laughs> keep going and and creativity is it it doesn't matter how you work you just keep going and if if you have it. so I plan a vision and I'm like I'll do it like this 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 but I actually in reality I can't structure any of this so I just float through it and create as I go along so um that's the way I work personally and other people have to go I've got this plan of and I just can't work like that so um yeah and then and dream you know 
I get a lot of ideas from dreams. And I love that dream. Dreams and write your dreams down. They're really like this book that I've got here. And mm. um, these were um, dream shoes. <laughs> I dream about shoes. Yeah. Um, but they were they were literally dreams that I had. Um, yeah. uh, so this is my dream journal. So and I love that you got like you're still working from a notepad and a book and sketching. So yeah. I think, yeah. and I always have a pen, and I'm like, yep. so I go to, I go to sleep like this with with a, um, <laughs> a hairband on my hand, yeah. And if I have anything, I start drawing. Amazing. And then I have to, what I have to do is open one eye, look at it, and go, okay, that's what that meant. And then if I fall back to sleep in the morning, I look at it and I go, oh, I dreamt about that last night, and um, that's that's how I work, and that's how Dali worked as well. Wow. So amazing. Yeah. That's a great tip. And, uh, <laughs> dream and write it down and keep a notepad on your side, tie it to yourself. Um, so, Daniel, I just mm -hmm. want to say thank you so much for your time. And you just gave me so much um, inspiration just there, you know. And I could speak to you all day, all night, but um, got your book to look forward to. And anything you need, you know, you know, you can always ping me on Clubhouse and. <laughs> message me and I wish you Thank all you. the best with You're all amazing the man things. I I love what you do I love your art I love who you are how you are and you're a beautiful person and oh. you're one of the best makeup artists in the world I believe oh my and God. to Take work me. with you um is amazing you you go you do your own thing you go out of the box you and you create beautiful artworks you know and 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 that's what the world needs so thank you for that and thank you Thank you. So yeah, thank you so much there, Daniel. And um, I can't wait to see you in the flesh the next time. You get some sleep, please. That <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Daniel. Look after yourself and uh, speak to you soon. Lots of love. Lots of love. Bye.